Many years have passed since a fellowship of light battled the shadow creature at the Grey Haven. Now the heroes find themselves in an unknown land where they discover a man in black is wreaking havoc. Undeath follows him wherever he goes, and long-forgotten legends rise again having been possessed by his evil. Join the players of this Dungeons & Dragons campaign as they attempt to stop the man in black as he collects artifacts both on and off the Lonely Isle. Welcome to Tolerasia in part two of the Inglorian Bastards trilogy, Rise of the Mormon. Alright, welcome friends to episode 69 of the Inglorian Bastards campaign. With me tonight, I have another language expert, um, someone by the name of Fiona Jollings, and I'm very happy to have her with us um, tonight to talk about Sindarin, or Sindarin. <laughs> Sindarin. <laughs> so, so welcome to the podcast, Fiona. Hello. Um, so, so again, like I said, this is this is going to be kind of part two of our language discussion. Uh, part one was with your friend uh, Paul Strack. So we we talked a little bit. Uh, that was episode sixty four. We talked a little bit about Quinya, um, and and tonight we're going to kind of transition a little bit to talk about Cinderin and. I, I refer to both you and Paul as experts because um, of all of your accomplishments in the Conline community um, and elsewhere. Um, I actually here I have a copy of your book, which is called A Fan's Guide to Neo Cinderin, and I have been for a few weeks now perusing your website called RealElvish.net, where I can see um, you have set up all kinds of resources for people that come to your website, including um, an academy. Uh, uh, would you mind telling us a little bit more about uh, sort of what you do in your website? So I view my role as being part of the Tolkien language linguistics community as being a gateway for newer fans. So that is pretty much what all of my work relates to in some way, shape, or form. So the name lists and the phrase books, those are all stuff for people who want to taste like a really basic level, you know, something to say, uh, fun stuff for RPGs. I'm pretty certain that my uh, random name generator has made like lots of campaigns. Yeah. Well, I, I wish I had discovered your website before I did this campaign because I think <laughs> it, it would have made the butcher job that I did of some of my, uh, some of the, the words that I I tried to create much much better um, and more accurate but so I see on here that like you said I'm trying to find where it said it you are geared specifically to naming characters uh, specifically for role-playing games and and stories I, I, what a great resource um, now this I see at the top you have an academy can you tell us a little bit how that runs so um, the, there are two types of course on the real elvish academy there's the courses that you can just do on your own time that run automatically that have quizzes built into them that would be for like the pronunciation course for the Tanguar and Kirth course and all of them right now are for scenery because that's where a lot of my scholarship is focused so yeah it's like really easier courses basically the beginners level courses so after you get the, through the pronunciation and the writing system, the next level is Gelio Avelin, which is still not teacher-led. It's got quizzes, and you work through little pieces of the grammar uh, bit by bit until you get a basic overview of the grammar. 
Um, and then the last course is Nevio Adelin, which is basically a series of like short stories, like little scenes. They start out smaller and then they get uh, more, more and more difficult um, as you progress. Basically, you're translating into Sindarin and you're translating out of Sindarin until you get more and more fluent and need less and less help doing it. So basically, the, the role of that course, and that one is teacher-led because, you know, uh, a quiz, you know, a computer program is just not going to be able to catch the nuances of translation because we also learn dialects mm. in this course. So you're thinking about the, how the character themselves would speak, not just how you, the fan, would speak, but how the characters would speak. Oh, wow. That's the really high-level, intense course. It takes, I think, around six, seven months to do. Registration for that course is um, in December, and then it runs through, I think, July. And so typically, um, do you get, you know, dungeon masters, authors? What I mean, who typically, you know, uh, signs up for the sort of more advanced classes? People who want to be able to create art in the language. And it could be just about anything. You know, a lot of people want to, like, write songs. They want want to do their fan fiction or role play games they, they want to be able to create their own art basically that's a good way and to put it yeah that's uh that's what i'm working to facilitate well you mentioned um you, you mentioned that your area of expertise right now um is is, is in cinderin um and I, I think that that makes a lot of sense at least um in terms of supply and demand right because yeah uh, cinderin is the is kind of the uh, would you say the main elven uh the lingua franca of, of middle earth is is what i like to say yeah exactly right so that's that's perfect now you talk in your book um in fact the title itself speaks mm -hmm. to that is um, a fan's guide to neo cinderin um mm -hmm. so can can you talk a little bit about we've been so far we've just we, we've not talked about neo cinderin could you explain a little bit about what that is so um when you just say cinderin usually like you're talking just about the, the translation that Tolkien himself did. You're not doing your own translations. So any translation that is not directly from Tolkien is Neo-Sindarin. Okay, so the like conversational Sindarin, the, the stuff that we, yeah. that we saw yeah. in the movies and, and um, uh, you know, the sort of the more complex uh, paragraphs and sentences. The, the would, I mean, he didn't, Tolkien didn't really flush it out that much, did he? Not terribly. Like for conversational phrases, we have like a few lines in the Fellowship of the Ring, basically. Yeah. You got, I and that's like, most of what we know about Sindarin greetings. Uh, Tolkien went into a lot more detail with Quenya on that particular topic. And for actually, like, a lot of the things that we know about Sindarin are actually, like, little notes in texts mainly about Quenya, um, where he adds, like, an oh, and it's different in Sindarin like this. And that's where we'll get that little uh -huh. nugget of information. So there's a lot of um, blank spaces in Sindarin as compared to Quenya. And new Sindarin um, as you know, the fan language it changes a lot faster than Quenya does because Quenya produced a lot more writings. Or no, <laughs> Tolkien produced a lot more writings on Quenya and um, fleshed it out a lot more. Yeah. And there's still things being published on Sindarin. Like there's rumors of of documents like 
specifically about Sindarin, and we can we can all dream that such a thing where Tolkien outlines the complete Sindarin pronoun system that would be wonderful. Oh, that would be, wouldn't it? <laughs> it would be like the uh, what, what's the tablet that they discovered in ancient Egypt? The uh, uh, oh, Rosetta Stone. The Rosetta Stone, yeah, for for Tolkien. Can, can I read a, a section in your book here? It says sure. um, uh, under uh, says uh, expect new editions often. Every once in a while, a scrap of paper gets published where Tolkien scribbled some notes about Sindarin. Uh, these little scraps often revolutionize everything we thought we knew. Constantly editing this textbook is a necessity. And I think Paul referred to that a little bit last night, where um, I asked him how, what, you know, what he thought of, of the, um, the spoken language in the movies. And he said, well, back in the early 2000s, we thought it was okay. You know, um, but, and I'm paraphrasing, uh, so forgive me if I got it wrong, Paul. Um, <laughs> um, you know, but, but now we kind of know more than we did then. Um, w- would you agree with that? Oh, yeah. Yeah. A whole bunch of material has been published since the Lord of the Rings movies. In fact, one of the most important texts for just knowledge about Sindarin itself, um, that's Parma Eldo Lambarone number 17. Um, yeah, that one is the partially completed manuscript that Tolkien was working on, it, which turned into the language-related sections of the appendix. Uh-huh. Uh, well, he was originally planning a much longer thing, and that is words, phrases, and passages in the Lord of the Rings. So uh, we have that partially completed manuscript. That wasn't published, I think, until 2005. So, you know, long after the movies came out. Um, So, and that overturned, like, what we knew about pronominal suffixes in Sindarin, the past tense in Sindarin got heavily affected. It also brought in a ton of new vocabulary. That was a pretty revolutionary document. And it also helped a lot with, um, you know, independent pronouns as well as pronominal suffixes. Though uh, later we discovered that part that Tolkien had abandoned parts of that phenomenal suffix chart as well. So like that, it's been a roller coaster. Oh yeah. <laughs> so like you can tell translations, you know, before uh, Parma Elder Lambro number seventeen, and then translations before Parma Elder Lambro number I think it's twenty two, which uh, revolutionized everything we knew about the future tense, and again rewrote some of the pronominal suffixes. So. Are, are, is there ever a point, though, where you, you come across something new, maybe something that Christopher Tolkien has released, and, and and it's a little bit like the pseudepigraphal writings of the Bible, where you're just like, yeah, there's probably a reason they didn't include this in the canon. You know what I mean? Like, j- <laughs> just because it's new doesn't mean it really changes anything. Does, does that ever happen? Well, um, stuff like pieces of Tolkien's notes um, aren't entirely published in the order that he wrote them. So you could find, like, okay, so in Vinyard Tanguar, uh, Paul brought this up. In Vinyard Tanguar, I think 50, they have this little, like, a scrap of paper that Tolkien was scribbling notes on. Yeah. And actually several pieces of vocabulary that we were missing and now use come from that. But also it shows um, elements of Noldorin vocabulary. Okay, And Noldorin is the earlier version of Sindarin that Tolkien abandoned and you know uh, reused the pieces of for the most part to make Sindarin. But there are some elements of that that remained in early Sindarin in mm. Tolkien's development, some grammatical things. 
So it was really interesting seeing that. So when this, like, when we get new publications and it's not uh, fitting exactly with what we know, it's never a case of "oh no, this ruins everything." It's or "ugh, I hate this." It's more like this completes our image of Tolkien's development of the languages. It helps us get a better picture, even if it's something we don't expect. And when you say "we," is there um, now? Paul talked a little bit about um, some biannual or uh, maybe every two years there's a conference on on experts Mm -hmm. now is there is there like a tribunal (laughs) like like a like a like a governing body that um sort of accepts this and discusses it there's no governing body okay like there are people who've been really invested in working on this stuff for many years who've been studying and publishing usually not in linguistic journals because most linguistic journals aren't interested in constructed languages but we have our own websites and we post our our articles and our and our small community so it's more like uh general acceptance in the community you know there's not as much of a hierarchy as you might expect well let me let me ask you more about uh, Sindarin um, and do, I, I guess I'm curious being that you know it is um, you know it, it would be the language of uh, of most of the elves and the Lord of the Rings and the hobbits of the Hobbit um, why did he focus so much on Quenya and not flush out cinder anymore well you have to remember that his stories about um, uh, you know in the Lord of the Rings and uh, the Hobbit weren't actually the majority of the time that he spent in the world most of the time that he spent in Middle Earth he was telling stories about the Noldor and the Noldorine language is Quenya so he was much more interested in Feanor and Banor's children and um, their exploits. I gotta and, be. I gotta be honest. I, I'm more interested in that as well. <laughs> yeah. So you know, the Silmarillion is a much better look at what Tolkien spent much more of his life writing than the Lord of the Rings and the Hobbit. The, so uh, the underlying uh, the underlying mythology. Yeah. yeah, yeah. He was much more interested in the characters that spoke Quenya, and I think it suited his linguistic tastes a lot. Paul mentioned that uh, Quenya is heavily inspired by Finnish. Well, Tolkien came across, I think it was a Finnish grammar, an, an old grammar book, and he thought it was just beautiful and wanted to emulate that. So, and a similar thing happened with uh, uh, he also got his hands on a, a early Welsh grammar, and that also inspired him lots. And lots. Well, Welsh is a beautiful language. It's uh, and it's unlike mm-hmm. it's unlike anything uh, as we uh, English speakers have come across. I think um, so. So is that uh, so? Are you saying that the Welsh language is what inspired Sindarin? Uh, to a point, like there are certain grammatical elements that he found very interesting and pleasing that he brought to scenery. There are certain phonetic elements that he brought over, but I would say that he was inspired by a lot of things. Like, he was really fascinated how you have uh, vowel fronting from Old English plurals. You know, he's he studied, studied Anglo-Saxon Old English, sure. and that's what he taught for many years at um, Oxford. So, there are definite Old English influences on scenery that if you have like looked a little bit at both you can you can see some of these um, influences. I think, especially in the plurals. Well, can I can I ask you now? You seem to just know so much about this now. How okay. how did you did you study this in college? How, how did you get into 
you know, studying language and, and the development of languages? So my entire family is nerds. <laughs> yeah. So I grew up in a household where our living room, every single wall was shelves and shelves and shelves, bookcases of sci-fi and fantasy. So I was introduced to Tolkien when I was young. And like my dad had a copy of the Silmarillion, which I ended up swiping when I left college. <laughs> Uh, he also had a copy of the Book of Lost Tales, uh, part one, uh, that I ended up swiping, as well as the Unfinished Tales. Yep. I, uh, like, they had multiple copies of The Lord of the Rings, so uh, I only took one of them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I left them with one. <laughs> How generous but they were okay with that because, you know, I was much more invested in it than they were. So I got really deep into Tolkien specifically um, soon after the uh, first movie came out. I was 14, 15 years old. I was bored as all hell in an American high school in Montana. <laughs> I couldn't start studying a foreign language until I was in my junior year. So... I, you know, jealous of everybody else getting to start studying Spanish and French, decided, well, they get to chatter in their languages. I'll study Elvish. Oh, wow. <laughs> and that's kind of how it started. I also was ha was writing my first fan fiction, and I had a scene where Galadriel was talking, and I wanted to know what her accent would sound like. And I also wanted to give her scene during dialogue. So I started looking into it, and my early attempts were just awful <laughs> like really 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 bad but I had a knack for making the names for making character names sound like they fitted into the universe properly even if they weren't correctly formed so people started asking me to make them their characters names <laughs> this was like back when I was still 15 oh, wow. um, and you know this was on fanfiction.net which uh, um, was like one of the early places where whole bunches of fandoms connected and collided um, and like my friends were all into fanfiction.net we were nerds all of us this was uh early 2000s being a nerd wasn't cool yet um so i started picking apart all my parents lord of the rings books all my parents tolkien books and learning everything i could and then when i started work going online i discovered you know the histories of middle earth and you know, that blew my mind. Like I had an inkling of it, but all I had was um, the Book of Lost Tales, Part One. <laughs> right, right. And, <laughs> so, and it does. I, I, I think that when you when you realize, you know, the evolution of these stories um, over a whole lifetime, um, you know, it just it kind of changes everything. It changes your mm -hmm. opinion of everything. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I, w I was a teenager. I didn't have my own like access to money yet. So I like just every birthday and Christmas and holiday where they give things to you i was asking for gift certificates to bookstores so i could get all of the all the books and that's how i filled out my my collection for the most part when i was young but i started getting interested i started discovering the elder lambaron and and like all these other online things like arda lambion um, i discovered arda lambion when i was like 16 17 and then i started going into the deep end started getting into the linguistics and i didn't have a background in linguistics yet um that wouldn't come until i was like 20 when i finally got into 
uh, a linguistics course in my university. Uh. So I was working without linguistic knowledge and I was kind of learning it on my own, basically, self-teaching it to myself. And that's how I learned the languages. I basically taught them to myself. And I was able to use all of the things that I had difficulty with um, and, you know, all the, all the studying that I did to start teaching other people. So in, like, 2006, I started, like, the very first version of, of um, Galia with Ellen, which was uh, your Sindarin textbook back then. Uh. And that started out actually on a forum, um, which is now long since dead. They've given up the ghosts, archives lost forever, as oh, far no. as I can tell. Oh. But I started, like, writing little lessons because, you know, I, I knew a lot about this topic and people wanted, you know, to learn more. So I started writing little lessons and that slowly grew <laughs> into basically a book. Uh, except it was entirely online. And people kept asking me for a physical version that they could hold in their hands. And it took a very long time. But eventually, you know, in 2016, I broke and uh, put it put together the book. And, and I published it. And that became uh, a fan's guide to New Scene Dream. Well, I'm looking forward to um, going through the lessons. Uh, it seems like uh, the lessons in the book sort of coincide with uh, some of the things that you can do on the web. Website. Mm -hmm. um, well, so we're we're about twenty five minutes into the interview, and I okay. I don't want to keep you too much longer. But I do I do. There was a question of um, uh, Paul mentioned uh, in our last interview about um, sort of the the rules for naming things, and, and we'll kind of transition from this into a, a few of the words that that I created for the first part of the campaign. Um, but could, could you just go over, I know there's a section in your book on this, um, okay. just a 10,000 foot view about, um, were, were there rules for, for naming things in, in, in the world of Tolkien? Well, yeah, there's like the grammatical rules, but the cultural rules, I think is what you're more interested in. Yes. So the elves for naming each other, um, and this is like a really broad view and the different, uh, groups of elves have slightly different focuses on what they find most important. But basically, you have three or four types of names. You have the father name, which is given at birth. It's usually a version of one of the parents' names with a patronymic suffix added. A patronymic, a patronymic suffix is like a daughter of or son of. Yeah. That's basically just what it means. So um, you hear people call Legolas, Legolas Thranduilion, well, the Eon part means son of. So Legolas, son of Thranduil, that's basically what it means. And that's the sort of name that you give like to a baby. And it's sometimes changed and uh, it's also used, it's also like the, the formal name that you use. Mm -hmm. So if you've just met somebody, you want to be polite to them, you use their formal name, their father name. So they then have the mother name, which is given by the mother. Uh, it has something to do with the character's personality, their fate, um, their interests, could have something to do with their vocation. This type of name is also combined with the chosen name. Now, a chosen name could be either an alias, like they're trying to be sneaky and hide who they are, or a chosen name is a name that you've given yourself. Like, my online handle is Dreaming Fifi. So I chose that when I was 14, and I'm kind of stuck with it now. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's, <laughs> but, it's um, actually, it's much more interesting than Turin's, uh, what did he choose, Nathan? <laughs> 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 yeah. Yeah. 
he, he gave himself a whole litany of, of terrible names. Oh, I see. I, Nathan means yeah. like the wronged. <laughs> right. No, I, I absolutely, I, I love that. Um, Turin is probably my favorite uh, character and I, I love the, the whole concept of um, your, how your name changes uh, based on, you know, what happens to you throughout the course of your life and how you change. Um, mm-hmm. I, I just think that was, I, I think he had probably six or seven names. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, it's pretty long list. Yeah. So after, and um, a lot of Noldorine elves, they take, uh, they make their mother name, their chosen name. So it's kind of the same thing. Uh, we don't know if the elves of Middle Earth have quite that same focus, though. And I think that when Tolkien was describing Celeborn's names, he just described it as like a more personal name having to do with who you are as a person rather than just who your parents are. Right. So that one is a very intimate name. And you can only use that with very close friends and family members. People who you have an intimate relationship with, basically. Do you have any examples of that from, from, from the stories? or? Yeah, yeah. Um, we've got Nerwen. Nerwen is Galadriel's mother name, which she took on as her uh, chosen name. And Nerwen means man-maiden because she, as a young woman was very fond of hunting, of sports. She was um, pretty tall and pretty masculine. So that's what her mother name was. Wow. Uh, and then uh, Fanor, his mother name is Fanaro. And the Sindarinization of that is Fanor or Fainor. So that one means spirit of fire. Yeah, that, that makes sense <laughs> for him. <laughs> but uh, Fianar's uh, father name was Finwion, which means son of Finwe. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. And um, So this is, um, uh, for the listeners, th- this is actually a pretty, it seems to be a pretty common thing in languages, and especially in, mm-hmm. in Welsh. Um, from what I remember of, of studying, um, you know, Dark Age Welsh history, uh, a lot of the, a lot of the, uh, sons would be named with the uh, ap ap, and then they would have their father's name, and the and the and the daughters would be whatever your name is, and then uh, it was ferch f e r c h, and then they would list your uh, I think I'm assuming father's name or uh, so so this this whole concept of um, what, what did you call it a, a, a patronymic patronymic yeah so th- this is I think a, f- a fairly common thing in languages is that correct oh yeah, yeah okay. oh yeah it's it's very common and it's where our modern idea of a surname comes from. Got it, got it. Well, that's why so many surnames have son at the end of them or an S at the end. Oh, yeah. Okay. Uh, there, there's one more important part, and that is nicknames. Oh, yes. Elves, like, they're not nicknames specifically like ours because they can be formal instead of informal. They can be kind of like a honorary titles almost so you have nicknames that are really funny and and cutesy like rusandol which is redhead pretty literally actually redhead (laughs) rusa is um poignia word for uh red fur and then uh dol is nol but comes a ndol in the compound is head so rusandol is redhead and then you have more formal names, um, like uh, Galadriel, which means uh, maiden garlanded with radiance. So it could be something very, very funny, like just talking amongst your friends. Or it could be like a grand fancy title that everybody calls you by because you're so awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, that, that Galadriel's is pretty hard to beat. Well, um, if, if we could uh, if we could talk about another nickname really quick, and this will transition okay. us. 
Um, what about Labado? Uh, it was like a hop-a-foot. Hop-a-foot. Um, this is an example of a human nickname, uh, but humans did it too. Uh, you know, Turin was a human, but he was heavily influenced by elven culture. Like their um, that group of humans were very influenced by Sindarin culture and Oldarin culture. So they started using their language, and that's where you get things like Labadol, which means. Labad is hopping, and then dol tal is actually a mutated form of tal, which is foot. Wow, okay. So so that leads me into sort of the game that Paul and I played, and this is where we talked about some things that I tried to uh, create, uh, some words that I tried to create for the game. Um, it, it always it, it always helps me as the as the storyteller to to not just randomly name something, uh, you know, but to, but to you know each of these items and each of these people that you're creating have have a history um mm-hmm. and, the, and the first thing that that, that i wanted to ask you about was a was a dagger that um that i that they that the characters will find in uh at the stone of the hapless uh, where turin and his mother are buried uh, and it is uh it is the dagger that was um given to turin by his father and uh that turin when he was young gave it to his um uh sort of i, I don't know what you'd call him his uh, was kind of his servant, but um, it was the the man we just spoke about, uh, Labadel, Labadel. Yeah, uh, who Labadel. who was Labadel. called who was called Sador, <laughs> and who Turin loved, um, and uh, who he he was he was actually uh, maimed at, at, at a major battle, and so Turin gave him this knife, and and in my story, um, the knife passes to Morwen and ends up at the Stone of the Hapless in Tauber um, on uh, Tol Morwen in Morwen's tomb. Um, and so the, the knife that uh, the, 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 the listeners will eventually hear about is called, I, I called Hathadol. Um, is there, is there a way we can break down that word? And, um, because honestly, looking back on it, I have no idea what I was trying to do with this. I, I, in, in my, I, I wanted it to mean foot cleaver as a reference to, uh, Sador's, uh, lame foot. Do you have any idea what I, like how I came up with that? Yeah, actually. I think you were basing it on another sword name, which is Hadafang. It's a Noldori name, and some of the elements didn't carry on to Sindarin. But I think what you did is you took Hadafang and then took off the Fang part and then just replaced it with Dal, which is um, the mutated word for foot. Uh. So you, you probably start with started with Hadadal, but you know in the pr- process of pronouncing it over and over... The L likely affected the A in front of it, which made it Avadol in your pronunciation of it. Okay. And then you probably de-voiced the, the um, DH into a TH, which is how you get Hathadol. Hathadol. All right. All right. So I wasn't too far off. When I, when I went back to this word, I started thinking, like, I, I, I have no idea how I came <laughs> up with this. So... Right. Yeah, I do have an, um, a suggestion for like how I would do it. Please. So you know how uh, you've got a whole bunch of swords and uh, badass weapons that end with Christ or Christ? Oh, yeah. yeah. Or Christ. Yeah. So that word means cleaver. So I would put tall in front of that and make foot cleaver literally. So there's two different ways you could say it with um, different dialects. So tall Christ or tall Christ. I like that. Mm-hmm. All right. I'm going to make some notes here. <laughs> like I told Paul, <laughs> uh, if this ever turns into fan fiction, yes, I'm going to borrow that. Uh, and when I say borrow, I mean steal. 
right. Okay. Um, so I want to go to the next um, the, the next word, and um, so th this character is arguably, I get, I guess one that has shaped the campaign more than any other character at this point. It's an NPC. Um, in the first part of the campaign, the characters end up doing this um, ritual. Um, uh, it's the fruition of a, a second AIDS uh, Numenorean sage. Um, it was called this 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 uh, ritual, um, and it's sort of assembling all of these things for it, was called Pterodon's Wager. And, they, um, and the wager was that if you could assemble all of these things and do this ritual, you could essentially find find a way to get to Amman, right, across the straight mm -hmm. road. And, and, of course, that's terribly interesting for Numenorians. Um, and so he, he ended up, um, uh, Sauron ended up spoiling this ritual somehow. And by doing this ritual, they opened uh, a small opening in the door of night and allowed back through uh, a Maiar of Morgoth named um, uh, Gwarthaur, and 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 up until this point, the reader or the listener um, knows this character as the Shadow or the Man in Black. Um, but later on in the in the second part of this campaign, in the third part of the campaign, he's named. Um, and again, so this name Gwarthaur means, or what I was hoped to mean, dirty abomination. How how'd I do on that one? Well, you have some correct moves here. Okay. Uh, Guar would could reduce to uh, guar at the beginning of the, the word. Um, Thour, however, uh, you would need stress on that syllable to keep that au in there. So I would suggest adding another a suffix because um, Thour doesn't mean abomination; it means abominable. It's an adjective. Uh -huh. So you could make um, dirty abominable one. And you could use a masculine name suffix. Um, you use he was a shadow of Meyer. So uh, you could use a masculine suffix. Um, there aren't very many masculine suffixes, but um, I would use either deer, which means man or male, or on, uh, which is a really general, general suffix. So, and it also echoes Sauron. Ooh, that's, that's really good. <laughs> that's really good. Yeah. Um, I, I just, um, I was telling the, um, somebody I was interviewing, I forget who now, that um, I, I, I think this, this lends itself to a prequel. <laughs> I really do. Like, <laughs> how did this Gwarthaoron, how, how did you say it? Gwarthaoron. Okay. Well, how he sort of got outside, like, was he, was he, um, you know, sort of kicked out with Morgoth? How did he, you know, get roped into this ritual? Um, I just think the character is really rich and I, and I think that's a good <laughs> suggestion for the name. Um, so moving right along here, since I've kept you for over 40 minutes. Um, it's okay. Okay. All right. I like, I like talking about this stuff. <laughs> um, so, okay. So one of the first battles that our characters fought in, in part one was, um, a battle fought at, at, uh, a place called Toliskarna. And if you play Lord of the Rings online, um, you'll know it's, um, essentially, uh, at the, you know, just north of, uh, the Etmores, um, north of the last 
last bridge. Um, so up, and it's it's basically an island castle, um, and they and they discovered that um, not only had the Umbarians stolen the Elendil stone, but they're they were looking for other things too. You know, these items that were a part of Teradon's wager, and and so the battle was named um, the Battle of of the Discovery of Wicked Secrets. Right. So so, so this is a very complicated one, um, uh, and I'm sure I got it wrong, but. Um, so they, they called the elves, uh, after this was fought, they, they called this battle, uh, the battle of Ru Limdal. Um, how, how'd I do on that one? Um, <laughs> terrible. <laughs> Go ahead say it. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it's a bunch of adjectives that you have here. Oh boy. Um, dull doesn't mean secret. It's not a noun. The, the noun secret. Uh, you can't say a secret like this. Dull is an adjective. It means dusky, obscure, secretive, secret. Well, like that kind. Well, it's an adjective, basically. Let, let's skip right to what your suggestion would be of this. <laughs> so uh, the, the hardest part is the discovery part. Discovery of wicked secrets. So I would say like, the finding of, of wicked secrets. Okay. So finding, we'd actually have to reconstruct a word from Quenya. I'd probably use here. So hiras or ichiras, like the finding. Yeah. Um, so secrets, I would take dol and actually use an um, anomalizing suffix as. So dolas. Ichiras um, dolas. So, yeah. Well, that's pretty good. Um, so that's secrets, and then uh, wicked would come after secrets because adjectives follow nouns in Sindarin. So, oh, except it would be plural, secrets. So, delais. Ijeras, dolas. Delais. And then the plural of the adjective wicked would, would be throwy. <laughs> this is a very complicated title that I did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And if you wanted to say the battle of discovered, <laughs> maybe maybe we don't do that. Discovered secrets. You would add um, dagor in front of it. Ah, of course, dagor. Yeah. Yeah, dagor means battle, and when you put it before like that, it means battle of. So dagor e hiras, or actually you would use um, n instead. So echher hiras delays three. I'm I'm gonna call Rue Limdahl a major fail and just move on. <laughs> it's okay. Uh, let's let's go to another battle. Let's go to let's go to the next battle. So this one is a um, so uh, this one was the battle. The um, after they released the Shadow Maiar, um, they end up battling him at the Grey Havens um, and where the portal is to Tolarisea. Um, and the, um, of course there's so many Umbarian ships in the harbor, the, you know, it's, the waves are choppy. And so what I kind of thought I was going for, and I, I think I totally botched this one up too, um, was, uh, this was the Drew Celebros, the battle of Drew Celebros, um, which was supposed to be, uh, the battle of wicked silver waves. Um, and I think I had to do some finagling, you know, um, uh, with this one. So how badly did I do here? <laughs> well, um, Drew, you said it was probably supposed to be who, um, the wicked or evil. Right. And that would follow the, the noun. So the silver waves part, uh, the Caleb part, we can leave the gross part. That's more like mist or rain. So there's actually a word for that um, misty, fizzy part at the top of waves. Oh, wow. Um, okay. It's wing. 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 Uh, uh, you know, wing? 
Oh, yeah, sure. <laughs> She's named after that. Oh. Uh, the second element of her name is queen. So star and then spindrift. Star spindrift is what her name means. Huh. So um, I would turn Celebros into Celebwing. Celebwing. Right. Mm-hmm. Very good. Um, so Dagor, Celebwing, and then Frui, because um, it's plural and uh, it's got to be mutated because it's an adjective following a noun. That's actually why the G disappears in queen, too. Uh-huh. So that one actually isn't too bad. <laughs> well, t- too bad for you. It, it seems totally butchered to me. <laughs> uh, all right. I was able to keep a lot of the elements. Maybe move them around a little bit, but mostly able to keep most of the elements. And I know that Sindrine is a lot more foreign to English speakers than Quenya is in a lot of ways. And I'm barely an English speaker, so there you go. <laughs> uh, all right, so two more for you. We'll do we'll do okay. a, we'll do a lightning round here. Um, okay. So the the this group of people that rose up and eventually uh, essentially is you know this group brings um, the second prophecy of Mandos to 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 fruition to um, to light and, and battle you know Morgoth in part three. Um, uh, and, and again, the listeners so far, if they're listening live or only on part two, um, but I don't think I'm spoiling any secrets. They're, they're called the Fellowship of Light. Um, and so <laughs> how do I do with Nos Glanador? Well, uh, if you want the Fellowship of Light, I would use um, Tonos' family, like your, your immediate family. Um, Wait, well, could, I think it could be a little bit broader. I think it can include uh, like a fellowship, and grandparents, and such. Anyways, nos um, would not be a good word to use here. Actually, okay. Okay. for fellowship, I would use gwaith. We have uh, an example that Tolkien gave us, which is the fellowship of jewelsmiths, which is gwaith in Mirthain. So that's what I would use as a basis, as an inspiration for it. Okay. So, so fellowship of life. Uh, or of light, uh, Gwaith Kalad. Gwaith Kalad. Kalad. Uh, stress on the first syllable. Kalad. Yeah. And that's one of the many things, because it seemed like Tolkien had a fascination with, like Paul said, creating a bunch of words for light and a bunch of <laughs> words for darkness. Yeah. Well, there are a bunch of different words for light. Um, I'm using the most generic one there. Uh, you could also use Blauar, which is like the golden light of the sun. And there's also Galad, which is radiance. There's uh, Silev, like the white of the crystals of, that make up the stars in the sky. Mm-hmm. So like there's a bunch of different words for light in Sindarin. And I just went with the most generic one. So Kalad could be, it could be a light of a lantern. It could be light of the sun. It could be anything. Okay. All right, and the last word, um, which I'm, I already know where this is going based on my <laughs> placement of adjectives, uh, uh, but I this was um, this was a wolf that um, in, in the first part of the campaign I said that Sauron had you know he had he had made it back to Mordor um, and he was you know just gaining his power, but at the time of, of of this campaign, and he he was raising a a wolf in the in in sort of the same way that Morgoth raised Karkaroth. Um, Mm -hmm. And so, and so he, you know, learning that he created his own wolf to sort of track and destroy the, the fellowship of light. Um, And, and this wolf uh, I named Tarminoth, Tarminoth. But, but I I think I can tell already that the tower would need to, to follow some of these things. Is that right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, um, what you've got here is um, the second element of uh, that you're using for night. Uh, that's actually the plural of the adjective. Oh, uh, 
So there's three different words for knights. They have slightly different connotations. There's do, more, and fuin. So mordor, I'd probably go with more okay. uh, for, for knight. Um, then we would put that element first, and then we would put um, the word meaning mighty. And I actually wouldn't use tower for mighty. That mighty is like, um, you know, it's good mighty, basically. So we're, 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 a, a more um, neutral term, actually. So we're trying to essentially make a mighty knight, right? Yeah, okay. yeah. yeah. So I would actually use uh, beleg. Oh, beleg, really? Yeah, yeah. Beleg means like vast, large... I, I hate to associate anything related to this wolf with Beleg. Beleg has seen enough bad days. <laughs> well, it's all right because it'll be mutated, so um, and part of it will be chopped off and replaced with oath or the um, intensifying suffix oath, which you used here, and it's it's all right to use. You uh, rightly guessed that um, uh, Karch Karoth is um, Karch plus Karan plus oath. Karan loses its second syllable, so it becomes Karo. Did that so mean? I would do the same here. Okay. So, Morvelov. Say, say that one more time. Morvelov. Morvelov. That's actually, that's pretty good, too. I yeah. was, uh, obviously, I was trying to, you know, most of these words that I really butchered uh, was more on sort of, how does the name sound? You know, let's let's pick mm-hmm. a, let's, let's go to a, a, a dictionary and, uh, you know, pick a word that kind of fits, but just sounds really good. <laughs> you know, I started the same way. Yeah, yeah. When I was, like, making my first character names and, you know, trying things out, like, I even accidentally made a a really terrible name for myself. Um, See if I could remember it exactly. Oh, oh no. Um, Uvanimor. So, like, my name is Fiona. Fiona means white or fair. And, uh, you know, I've got dark hair, dark eyes, not particularly fair or white. So... Uh, I wanted to say not white. <laughs> mm-hmm. Unfortunately, Vani Moore is also. I, I, I try to connect Vani, which is like fair, and that then more with you know darkness. Yeah, fair darkness. Unfortunately, I um, made the word for a monster. Oh no! <laughs> <laughs> plural of monsters, Vani Moore. Vani is a monster. Vani plural of monsters. So yeah, really, don't feel ashamed. We all start somewhere. (laughs) At least what you picked meant something, like it was a real word. (laughs) A lot of the mistakes just come from um, not knowing the grammar yet. And with the name making, there's a lot more grammar than you would expect. So, And uh, some of the mistakes are just from seniorine having very, very complex compound word making rules. The words have to blend together in ways that you don't have in Quenya um, or in English. So you're not expecting that you might have to change the beginning or the end of a word to make them fit together properly. And that's something that gets a lot of people when they first start making names. It's a it's a puzzle that I can it has too many pieces for me at this point. If I if I were to take your course, I would definitely need to start at the very beginning. <laughs> um, is there is there anything that you would like to sort of before we end anything you would like to plug or, or talk about? I've also added Tengwar uh, and Kirth transliterations to all the phrase books, so that if somebody wants to um, like have in their artwork some Tengwar or Kirth, that they'll be able to use um, correct good source there. And that's been a large part of my uh, work for the past year. 
been adding that. And this, and we can find this on realelvish.net? Yeah, yeah. So if you go onto realelvish.net and go to the uh, phrase books, you click on a phrase, you'll get um, all of the different ways it's written as well, depending on the dialect, because different dialects have different writing systems. Oh, beautiful. Well, thank you again, Fiona, for coming. All right. Namarie. Namarie. Though this marks the end of the episode, the road goes ever on. Until next time, join us at longwinded.one and consider giving us a review on Apple Music, Spotify, or really whichever platform you choose. 